This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Welcome to episode 203 of the Broadcast Network podcast and this week we're taking a session from the most recent Catalyst Hub conference that happened over Zoom and in this episode Tim Simmons discusses having faith for finances. Today Richard has asked me a few times to talk about uh, faith for finances um, and um, I've, I've always kind of pushed it away and said no, I don't want to do it. But he talked me into it this time. And I realised part of my reluctance is that in this Catalyst Hub, there are quite a few pretty experienced church leaders, more experienced than me. So I, I'm slightly nervous I'm going to teach you to suck eggs. Um, and if that's the case, I apologise, um, which is never a great way to start a talk, is it, with an apology? But I, I come at this with humility um, and we'll have a couple of uh, breakout rooms as well. So I'm dead keen to hear your experiences too. Uh, we've done a bit of a journey with this in CCM and have a way of doing things, um, which if nothing else, you can um, you can disagree with and react or learn from, or you can teach us as well. So um, so I thought I would, uh, I've got some stuff prepped and we'll have a couple of uh, little breakout rooms as well, um, if that's all right. Although we might just be able to do it with all of us in this room. Um, so for so our kind of thing with church finances is that we wanted uh, to have a big vision for our finances. We want our people uh, to have a big vision for their own uh, personal finances and uh, for the church as well in 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 their finances. And for us, um, it, we decided that the, our kind of baseline where we would start was this was a discipleship issue, not a money raising and budgeting issue. Um, and so we we do have targets that we want to reach and we, we um, are quite careful with our money. But it, we started off with actually when we approach giving in any way, shape or form or church income, should we say, it is a discipleship issue. Um, and so that meant we were always looking to deal with the heart issue where there was one um, and help people to kind of train their hearts in in generosity um, and, and uh, in becoming followers of Jesus and disciples of Jesus when it came to their finances. Uh, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but um, finances is one of those things that people really can be quite reluctant to let the church speak into or let people speak into. So we thought we would start with that that place. Then you're not dealing with how much people give, but you're dealing with their heart attitude and um, their kind of journey with Jesus. Um, so we it was, um, how do we help people grow in their love and obedience for Jesus? How do we help us as a church grow in generosity? Um, and so we realised that thinking about church finances was an opportunity actually to build culture within the church. So uh, to build a, a what we would call a generous culture. Uh, and in doing that, to do this properly, we realised we had to help people um, think about their debt that they had, uh, how they spent their money, um, helping uh, families and individuals to budget where they want the help, um, helping people as well to have a, a vision actually for how they spend their money. Um, so I, I, we have, um, like I'm sure many of you do, plenty of people who are, who are affluent enough not to really kind of count the pennies all the time. Uh, and so it's that kind of thoughtless spending 
uh, which actually prevents you from having a vision about your your finances, uh, helping people with their saving as well to think how what am I saving for to save with purpose and with a plan and also helping people to think about their future, which sounds like a, a weird one, but I find myself even in our Fallowfield congregation, which is lots of 18 to, to kind of 25 year olds, when people first get a job, they've nobody has ever in their life ever talked to them about a pension or, or saving. And so numbers of them said, oh, I don't need it. I'll get that when I'm older. And even it explaining, well, compound interest is your friend. Um, and then that realisation. So uh, helping people to think in terms of their future as well. And even helping people to think, how do I teach my kids about uh, their spending and their pocket money and stuff like that? Um, all of that give us, gave us, gives us an opportunity to build a generous culture, um, especially when you're going up against consumerism, individualism, uh, and those things are posh words for, for greed often. Um, and that would be, I think, um, hardwired into our into our culture um, and so we we have to we have to bring a generosity to go up against that um, and so we realized that wasn't about adding a few percent to the church income but actually that is a huge discipleship issue and so uh, I kind of with this I did a bit of a journey with myself personally um, <clears throat> and I realized that in order to be able to teach into this stuff to even to budget effectively and do those things, I needed to deal with my own my own heart and uh, my own finances. Um, and I I met, was remembering a number of years ago, so probably I went full time for CCM in twenty seventeen, I think. Um, and so probably about four or five years before that, I was part time for the church. Vicky, my wife, is was part time as a nurse and was quite new into her career in it. The kids were pretty small, so we were paying lots for childcare. We were at that stage. And uh, it's a stage in life where you're just skint. The money that comes in seems to go out, either to childcare or, or to Aldi. It just goes in one door, comes out the other. And um, I remember actually being quite worried by this a lot of the time. It was um, just, this was a point of anxiety. And I was noticed, I was beginning to get, there was some bitterness in it as well. It's a strange thing. And so one day was praying in quite a, like a bitter way, like I'm, I deserve more than this. Uh, and there was anxiety kind of in that as well. And I remember praying really quite clearly, remember it, because uh, I was walking home from dropping the kids at school um, or at the childmind. I think I was dropping one of them at their childcare and one at the childmind at school. And I, I remember praying, God, I am poor. Why, why won't you let me have more money? That was actually my prayer. I'm fed up with this. Why won't you let me have more money? And I remember, and I don't really hear God's like particularly clearly in my head, like, like we were talking about this um, uh, Muslim guy who had a dream of Jesus in white. Uh, that stuff ain't happening to me. Um, but I remember it very clearly, God saying to me, why should I give you more money when you are rubbish with what you have? And that was it, just a clear, um, I just remember it clear as dark. I can remember where I was walking near my house when, um, when that popped into my head. And um, it was like an electric shock, actually, in life for, for me. And so um, we've done something we haven't really ever done before because we, we hadn't needed to do it before. We uh, we were uh, dual income till we had kids and you just kind of spend as it comes in and save a bit and give a bit away without really much thought. Um, and uh, realised that there were lots of bad habits 
in my spending, um, impulsive shopping. We weren't in debt particularly, um, but occasionally the credit card would have way too much on it. And I realised I was going at this as a consumer, not as a disciple. I was going at this from a, a very Western individualistic perspective, not as I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I had no big vision for my money. Um, the money that I'm given have great opportunity to be able to use it for the kingdom of God. And I was, if I was doing that, it was very half-heartedly and poorly thought out. So we went through everything, went through all of our budgets, all of our spending, and neither of us got a pay rise. Neither of us increased our hours at work. The childcare still cost as much as it did, but we found ourselves with more money um, and just by sorting our lives out. Now, some of you here who are more grown up than me will be thinking, yeah, of course, Tim. Well, it's just obvious. Well done. Welcome to the real world. Um, and But that is actually it was a really important moment for me that we I, that happened to me before we started kind of looking at the church finances, before we started pushing into that. Um, there was a, actually probably a, a sense of entitlement that comes from being from the affluent West, I think, uh, in terms of money and possessions as being money and possessions as being a sign of maturity, um, which I think actually can be a real thing in, in church. Uh, actually, you're, it's a sign of being a bit grown up that you can afford and do these things. Um, but actually, it, it, in the world where it's a sign of success and having done well, we, we flipped it and made about maturity and actually realised actually there is an entitlement problem there for me. I remember again, it hit home. I was in, um, we were going through buying a house um in um this house that i've got now and uh house buying stories are very boring but we we were in the process of it was just really difficult to buy the house it was just one of those um, where everything seemed to go wrong at every point it was taking ages and um and, and i i was in krakow at the time um just on a little uh, three-day trip to meet the church there and that church is uh ukrainians who fled war and i, I wasn't talking about my house because I knew that I was with people who'd struggled in life in, in a proper way. So I was not going to moan about how annoying solicitors were in the UK. Um, but one of the, the pastors there, called uh, Pastor Ivan, who's um, just fantastic. Um, and he was just chatting about what happened when he fled. And he was he's in his kind of early mid 50s. And he was saying to me, look, in the east of Ukraine, Tim, to buy a house, we save for years, like actual decades to be able to afford to do this. Uh, because we just there isn't that much money it's a bad economy um just takes ages and he said we save for ages and ages and finally i could afford to buy a house uh, and he was in his late 40s maybe early 50s i could afford it so we bought this house we did up the house i lived in it for three nights then the russians invaded and then i left in my car with a bag of documents and i was like what happened to your house he's don't know that's <laughs> just don't know it's gone Oh, my word. So at that point, I was like, OK, my solicitor's not that bad. He's, my solicitor is not as bad as the Russians. But there was a that kind of, again, that sense of entitlement that was there. God really identified it. And so as constantly pushed us with our finances, how we spend, how we save, even our giving and even how we invest money and thinking of the kids for the future. Um, and I found as we have been obedient in in spending and saving, actually, we've been able to do more with generosity. Um, and I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the idea you give more, you get more, like money going in one way and coming out the other. Um, but I do think, actually, as you, as we are obedient to God, we are able to do more and more for his kingdom. So uh, 2 Corinthians talks about uh, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. 
Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And then each one has, uh, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. And I realised for me, becoming a cheerful giver actually meant some discipline and uh, some understanding of my money, some control over our spending uh, being able to be a bit generous with the kids, for example. Uh, actually, those things brought cheerfulness and joy when it came to the giving uh, because there was a, a holistic picture for me. Um, now, I don't think, again, I don't think if I give more, God gives money back to me. But I do think as we give, we get to be part of a kingdom advance. Actually, as we give, we get to uh, help our churches plant new sites. We get to help to give to the poor, uh, whatever it might be. We get to see uh, the kingdom advance. So uh, for me, the the start point in this, um, and I remember sitting down with our staff team and our leaders uh, that we had at the time uh, after I I was only able to do it after God had really worked on me and our money. That was the only way I felt comfortable or, or even credible sat there talking about this. Um, and so we looked at our own hearts and then we think, OK, how do we engage our church in this journey? OK, that if that a disciple is someone who is a cheerful giver because they, their finances, all of it is directed Godwards. Um, then how, how do we do that? And uh, I think and we'll break in a second and we'll, we'll I'll ask a couple of questions. Um, the first thing is that for vision. So I, I remember being part of a church. Oh, when I in my early 20s and um, I remember the pastor standing up there and we all knew that they were they, the church was skint because there was a family night, <laughs> which we used to call the family fight, where they talked about how little money they had. And um, there was uh, the, I remember the pastor saying as part of his preach, if everybody could just give an extra 10 pounds, that would solve our problems. We just need to do that. It was really kind of we, it, there was no generosity in it. There was no sense of where we're going together. There's no sense of a big vision of the kingdom of God advancing its, in this town, in our lives. We're disciples. It was really, please, just £10 extra each, if you can, that, that would really help us. And there was a, it, there was a desperation to it um, that actually you could feel the, a little bit the faith and the oxygen leave the room a bit. Um, and it seems better to me to say this is where we're going this is what we need to get there. And sometimes we live in the real world of the we just there's it's a, a time when the church doesn't have much money. Um, and then there are times where the church has lots of money. But at every point we say this is where we're going. This is what we need to get there. And um, I'm sure you guys have done the same, but I don't think we've ever run a budget where we've expected to have more money at the end of the year. Than, than at the beginning of the year. We always budget a loss. This year we budgeted a loss. And I, I'm sure that's true for you. Um, and for us, it's a question of these are the things that we want to do. Uh, realistically, we're not budgeting to lose millions or, or, or even hundreds of thousands. Um, but it, this is where we want to go. Um, and this is what we need to get there. And for me, again, as the the person who's often led into this, I've realised that there is a, uh, for me, there is a, a heart tension which goes between faith and prudence um, uh, or, or particularly uh, vision uh, and prudence. I'll often, I've often found myself questioning the validity of the vision based on how much it costs. Uh, and for me, that is the first question that pops into my head. 
when um when people want to do it, like we really like to do this in my head um the money thing starts ticking um and i've realized actually at that moment i need to say absolutely nothing i need to let the conversation uh, play out because when i i start talking cost i realize that i can remove the faith People then start cutting back on their vision to make it cheaper so it makes Tim happy or makes the spreadsheet work. Um, which, again, we have to live in the real world. You can't spend money you haven't got. Um, you have to live in the real world of uh, uh, of projecting what your income is going to be and all of those things. But I've realised, actually, I need to let the faith and vision conversations last for a lot longer um, before we start talking cost. Uh, and how we're going to make that work. Uh, when I go to cost too quickly, um, prophetic people tend to be quieter. Um, it it it's prevents people from uh, listening to God. I think, again, I, I found I've done it a couple of times. I thought, oh, I've ruined this meeting. I've sucked the energy out of the room of this meeting. I, I need to just wait and pause. So I've got two questions that I would like us to consider. And we'll just we don't need to go in a breakout room. We'll just stay here. Um, and the question, the first question is, if you saw a 25% increase in your church income, what could you do that at the moment you can't do? And again, if, just for discussion, because I'm keen to hear from you. How do you, how do you guys disciple people in financial health and generosity? So I, uh, a few more uh, points just on things that we do. Um, to kind of so a little bit of the nuts and bolts of, of some of the things that we have worked on over the years. Um, so if we've uh, agreed that we need vision and we uh, would like to um, help people grow as disciples uh, in their generosity um, and as followers of Jesus, uh, then we've realised we need to take them on a journey uh, with their finances. Um, actually, um, there's a guy called Randy Alcorn. It's a very American name, but he wrote a book called Money, Possessions and Eternity and the, the Treasure Principle. I don't know if you guys have seen them, uh, but really helpful. And he said, I've never seen a mature Christian who was not also a mature steward giving his part of growing, which I thought was ace. Um, and so on that principle, we thought, OK, well, let's help people grow to maturity. Uh, and uh, I read a book by a guy called Nelson Searcy called Maximize. And he said, look, this is the journey you need to take people on for them to grow as disciples. Um, and if you assume somebody joins your church and the assumption is they have never given before to a church, let's say it's that type of person, or, or perhaps you just don't know. So you just assume they've never given. So how do you get them to be a first time giver to give once? How do you then turn them into a regular giver? And then he says, how do you turn them into a tither? So 10 percent. And then how do you help them become an extravagant giver? So more than that, that was his kind of discipleship journey. How do we do that? And so uh, we, there are a few things that we have done. So the first one is the, the generous culture thing. So we want people when they experience CCM, when they are part of uh, maybe they come along on a Sunday, they're part of what we do, come to a prayer meeting, whatever it might be, that they that we communicate generosity to them, not even just our, in our, our what we'd say about money. But uh, actually, if you walk into a, a church on a Sunday, you get a sense of whether they're generous or a bit stingy. So, again, we've joked about coffee machines, but we all know why it's important to have 
like a decent presentation of a welcome. If the warmth of welcome actually communicates something. So we and we've always tried to work on that, as I know uh, most of us do. I think it actually how somebody feels welcome on a Sunday will communicate a bit about generosity, uh, how we give to the poor as a church, what we talk about um, uh, for that, what we try and do with that when we talk about giving to external causes. Actually, that is really important. It communicates generosity. So we try and do two. Well, we don't try. We do two uh, extra special offerings every year. Uh, one of those at least will go to the poor, though through lockdown, I think we did three in a row, which went to um, either the Catalyst um, program for, for COVID. Um, but we've given to Ugra- Uganda, Ukraine, uh, to a project in Gorton. All of that is money that goes out of us. And we do that every year in November. Um, and we do another one, which often is for new startups in church, new projects that we want to run uh, or uh, ongoing things like that. And sometimes we've given that away uh, too. Um, but for us, the extra the extra big gift uh, speaks something of, of generosity. Um, now, I don't think that you just do those things like if somebody gets a good biscuit on Sunday, they instantly start giving or if they see you doing a special offering to go to the poor. Um, but there is a, a culture that I think it builds and that generosity actually is a bit infectious. Um, but so is being a bit stingy. So is penny pinching is infectious as well. So um, the first thing on the journey was generous culture. The second one was really thinking, how do we ask people to give? How do we how do we do that? Um, and so we do a, a few things and it's not an exact science, um, but we'll do a, a regular sermon series on giving probably every two or three years in each site. Um, we will do a sermon series on finances. So we will always teach on um, on your spending, consumerism, uh, on how you save money and, and how you give as well. We will always teach on all three of those things. And we'll usually do a three or four week series on that. And again, the hope is people get a big vision for their own finances, how they spend their money, what they do with it, and that they realise that the surrounding world we live in is consumerist it's about spending to make us feel good it's about um thoughtlessly spending uh, it's about easy spending and actually we think we, we want to stand for something uh, different um that is full of faith and, and um so I, I remember teaching actually on on uh, on how you spend your money and i actually taught on spending priorities i said look these are my priorities in in my in what i want to spend my money on obviously i have to pay my taxes we have to um pay our bills um even with the food shop thinking actually i you know i could do tesco's or i could do aldi or i could do waitrose which one is going to be the most helpful thing and thinking actually my priorities are that for the church i want to spend on church in my own finances the future of my family, so opportunities for the kids in the future. I want to spend on holidays because they are good. And I wanted to build memories for the kids, actually, to to help family life. And I was teaching on this. And then a guy come up to me afterwards. He said, Tim, that's really helpful. I realised I'm bad with my money, so I can't afford a car. And that means I can't take my kids places. It really was that knucklehead. I, I want to take my kids out and be able to do fun stuff. So I've re, I'm reorganising my spending and I'm going to get a car. And he came back and he showed me a few months later. I've got this car now because I've realised actually I need to think about how I spend money. So we teach on that. Uh, and we also teach directly on the look, give to the church. This is an important part of who we are as followers of Jesus. This is a worship uh, for us. So we do teaching, we do uh, yearly reports, 
um, that we give to everybody, how the church spends its money, how how much it receives, uh, what we'd like to do going forwards. And apart from COVID year where everything fell to pieces, but um, we were put um, uh, just a letter in everybody's hand and, and ask them to say, look, please read this. This is us trying to be as transparent as we possibly can. Um, please read about what we're doing and what we would like to do in the future and how you can partner with us and help us with that. Um, and we've been, we're planning to do that again in um, March, April this year. Um, and then we've realised actually the most effective thing that we can do, and it works best after we've done the sermon series, the, the, the yearly reports, um, is to have personal conversations with people uh, about whether they would consider giving to CCM. And um, I, I work hard at doing this, and actually Andy Brownlee does as well, um, actually to really make sure that we do this with as many people as possible and it's not a cold conversation it's a conversation with an understanding of the person uh, it's a pastoral uh, discipleship conversation it's not a giving drive it's helping us to understand where they're at with their finances how they sit in a world of consumerism um, you know whether they are on top of their finances, whether it causes them anxiety or all of those things kind of are brought into our conversation, as well as this is what the church wants to do going forwards. Would you like to partner with us in that? And um, uh, we tend to, as people join the church, we'll give them two or three months to see whether they start giving uh, and just to get to know them, find out about them. And then we'll often ask them directly. And in having done that for probably about 10 years, I can think of one time where the person wasn't happy that I talked to them. And there are all sorts of other things going on there. Um, but with loads of other conversations, most of the time, uh, people actually are pretty happy, even quite keen to have the conversation. And I always go very open, say, look, you can ask me anything about the church finances. I've even said, if you, you, you can ask me how much I'm paid and uh, I've really got no problem with that. Uh, uh, we try to be as open as we can. So um, in talking to people, regular teaching, actually, so it's kind of their context is built, yearly reports, so you're transparent and personal discipling conversations. Uh, and then finally, and I've put this one in last, um, we can talk about this and I won't record the conversation that we have, um, uh, but I will put this in as just a, uh, I don't know, some, some of you might agree, some of you might disagree, but we made a, a philosophical decision um, when we first started getting into talking about how we uh, improve the church finances, how we disciple people, um, is that site leaders and senior church leaders would know how what people give, uh, would know the giving of people. And um, this driven by a few things. But I remember years ago, before I worked for a church, a friend of mine in the church I was at then, different church, was the financial administrator for the church. She she dealt with all the banking, paid all of the expenses, um, kind of uh, did all the gift aid claims, all of that sort of thing. And um, there was a church where the leaders and the trustees as well said, we don't want to know how much people give. We just we don't want to know. We we want to see the big bottom end figure, um, but we don't want to know because we think it'll affect how we view people, uh, which is a, a common thing I, I hear. And um, she a very pretty low level in staff and in kind of church leadership. She, it was it was her job, really. It wasn't a particular calling. Um, but she realised that she knew the rich people in the church who were being really quite stingy. 
She knew the poor people in the church who were being very generous. She could see new leaders being brought through who she knew weren't giving very much. And she could see quiet people who were being ignored, who were very generous. And she could see everything in between, all of the the positives and negatives of that. And she quit. She absolutely hated it. It broke her because none of the other leaders would take responsibility for it. And she couldn't even say to someone, this person that you're bringing through to preach and to, to maybe lead a bit, they're, they're, they're not, it's, they're obviously bad with their money. They're obviously, there's a discipleship problem there. And um, she just realised that actually I can't do this anymore. And she quit. And um, it made me realise that's probably not the right way round. And Colin has always had this philosophy. So we kind of walked into this way of thinking as well, um, that actually someone has to know if this is really a discipleship issue, then let's use the information that we've got um, and use it wisely. And we talk in, in CCM about having a, a think the best culture. So going from a we think the best of everyone position, uh, we assume that people want to be generous and in almost all the conversations I've had, people actually do want to be generous. They, they're real about their life finances. I was talking to a guy on Sunday who was telling me about how his wife works, how he works and how he pays 700 quid a month childcare. Uh, and you realise in that conversation, he was just really happy to have it. Uh, and I know that he wants to be generous, um, but there is a, a, a moment when that will become uh, more for him. Um, and it, But also everyone wants to be generous. Everyone actually, I think, wants an exciting faith journey. People want to give a bit, see God do something and feel the courage that that brings to give more. And, and the other thing, as we think the best of everybody, is everybody experiences financial pressure. It probably most of the time in some way. The financial pressure may be from your own family, your kids wanting to spend more money. It may be from the fact you, you are earning more than you have before and you don't, you're not quite using it as well. It might be from the fact you're, you are absolutely dirt poor. Um, which we've all got people in our churches like that who just really have very little and know the anxiety of that and are terrified of the gas bill going up in April. So we know all of those things are going on, um, but we still decided actually we're going to know what people give. This actually helps us to have a really good view um, of where we are as a church, where people are as disciples. And actually, is I've always found it's an incredible challenge to me, my generosity. One of my favourite points of the year when we do give big and um, people start giving and the treasurer will see it as well. And he'll text me. He'll be like, have you seen the bank account? And we'll look and we're like, how has this person got this money? Um, especially when it's students who have given away just huge lumps of cash um, and clearly have foregone cheap beer and kebabs for a while so that they can be very generous. Uh, and actually, it's a, a wonderful thing to know that. Uh, and I found in this journey, it's very rarely made me think negatively of someone because there's usually a reason. Uh, there's usually something going on in their life, which we can often be very helpful with as the church we help to disciple. So, yeah, that is uh, me done. That was just thinking about how we uh, have faith for our finances 